Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL podcast. Yes, welcome in everybody back once again to continue our divisional previews as we head towards the start of the NFL season. We've already had some football, haven't we? A Hall of Fame game. Everybody's already forgotten that that took place, so we'll gloss over it. Um, but yeah, pre-season officially underway. Let's welcome the boys in the scene. And Josh, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, I don't think that you can really call that football. We'll call it football adjacent at best. <laughs> Sorry, Robson, I realise that you're one of the two teams that were in it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, realistically, I, I don't consider what happened there to be much more than just a, a glorified training session. Yeah, it wasn't uh, It wasn't great, was it? So, like I say, we will genuinely skip over it. Let's welcome Steve in. Steve, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Um, I think that I read that this weekend, just gone, was the last weekend without football until, like, mid-February. So until mid-Feb, yeah. That's the one. So that's when we know the football season is back. Although we've got to sit through these meaningless uh, pre-season games for the next few weeks, it is very, very exciting that it is just around the corner. Indeed, five Sundays to go. We are getting ever, ever closer. We've mentioned his name already, so welcome into the show tonight. Joining us from the Full 10 Yards Network as part of Jags Across the Pond. Robson, how are you doing, my friend? Yes, you okay? Yeah, really good, mate. Looking forward to getting you on. Looking forward to talking all things Jags. Like I, said, I think we're all really excited for the Full 10 Yards Network and getting the experts of their own teams on. Um, it was really good to have Carl on last week, um, talking Patriots, wasn't it? So, yeah, Carl and the boys over at um, Pat's Touchback. One of a few teams announced this week. We'll talk a little bit more about the network, though, later on in the show. We're here this week, though, fellas, to talk AFC South. Um, and it's a division that has been dominated, it's fair to say, by a couple of teams in recent years in terms of the Titans and the Colts. Um, we're going to start with the Titans as the division winners from a season ago. Obviously, actually ended up as the number one seeds, if you remember, in the AFC, which I know at the time we all said fellas felt like potentially a little bit of a red herring. It kind of played out that way in the playoffs, didn't it? But, Josh, they'll be looking to obviously make some improvements to talk about their off-season, buddy. They will be looking to make some improvements, or at least that's what you'd think. And then they went about this off-season, and there are questions abound, I think is probably the uh, the correct way of analysing their off-season so far. Um, quite a few key pieces gone, and the replacements aren't exactly up to the same scratch. So that either... That either shows a potential complacency within the division, especially with, uh, with, with you know, seeing as to where the land lies with the Colts, um, and you know, with uh, with the Jags and the Texans potentially not being enough to touch them at this point, or just that they've just not been competitive in the off season for one way, shape, or form. So, in terms of the you know the off season. You know, you look at Roger Saffold, Anthony Ferks, uh, Rashawn Evans, you know, they've all departed um, in terms of who they got back um, for those. You know, you're looking at Robert Woods, who they got in the trade. 
They got Austin Hooper from the Browns, who, you know, myself and Sean can tell you was mediocre at best when you consider the amount of dollars in cash money that we uh, spent on him. Uh, and then, you know, being able to get a couple of key players signed signed down in uh, Howard Landry and Ben Jones. Um, so, you know, and let's, uh, let's not forget, of course, that I'm kind of burying the lead here, which is that A.J. Brown is no longer with the Tennessee Titans and is instead gone with somebody who will be cheering on for him on this podcast, uh, Steve, your Philadelphia Eagles, obviously being one AJ Brown better off, uh, does make you wonder as to, you know, where their improvements are really coming from this year in the draft. You know, you look at, you look at Traylon Burks, who will no doubt be seen as the, you know, the future at the wide receiver position for the Titans. Will he be able to, to replace AJ Brown in the future? It's already a very troubling line to give someone no more than five seconds after you traded in to get him you know it's it wasn't a small piece that was traded in order to um that that was traded to get into that position uh you then look at cornerback Roger McCreary as well in the second round and then potentially Ryan Tannehill's replacement in Malik Willis so, you know, you look at the draft and you think that they are looking to the future. Potentially, they are seeing that their window is not now. Um, you look at the, the AFC West, how they're basically arming up in an almost Cold War style fashion to see as to who has the biggest armory to go and make that Super Bowl run. It just seems like the Titans are happy to be in the conversation but not go up against the big boys at least not until january and then just hope for you know results to go their way much like the playoffs is alone to do um so yeah in terms of in, in terms of that it's it's negative reading from what i've given there's obviously many positive slants of which you can put onto it in the fact that it is a very young exciting team that the titans are turning into and it's not like they're going to have a bad season by any stretch of the imagination um you know unless they come off fall off a cliff you know they're they are very comfortable in the quarterback position i think at least for now you know ryan Tannehill. I think has exceeded expectations at the Titans and is, you know, comfortable in, in there. Mike Vrabel has done a good job and he's comfortable there as well. So I don't think you're going to see any kind of drop off, at least from a division point of view, but in terms of keeping up with the, the, the big boys at the table of the AFC, it might just be that they are understanding their limitations for lack of a better term. Yeah, I'll, put the, I'll pose a question to, to Robson and to Steve. Steve, I'll come to you first on it. I think in terms of the Titans, are they sort of almost turning into, under the guidance of Mike Vrabel, a little bit of trying to replicate what the New England Patriots did for all those years in terms of haven't necessarily got tons of star players on the roster. You'd almost argue the star player they had has been drafted away this off-season, as, as Josh has just described there. But what they have got is a very good coaching setup, very good scheme, um, 
players that know their role and their responsibility. That was always the joke about New England, wasn't it? Just do your job. But let's face it, the Titans just do their job. You know, there's nothing particularly flashy about them. You know, but are they perennial sort of 10, 11 win sort of team that is going to be there or thereabouts when it comes to the playoffs? And one thing that we haven't touched on is the Derrick Henry situation. Missed a huge portion of last year. Came back for the playoffs, but let's face it, he wasn't ready for the playoffs. He wasn't up to speed at all and was a non-factor in the game that he did come back. So there's probably two questions there. So, Steve, if you want to pick up on the first one just around the sort of how overall build and then Robson, by all means, add to that, you know, probably focus on the Derrick Henry slant, how much of an impact him being, you know, hopefully fit for a full season will have on them. Yeah, I mean, I've, the, the Titans are, are that team in the in the AFC. I mean, last year, like you said, they won the the... AFC and they were the, the sorry they were the number one seed for the playoffs in the AFC. So we forget that I think, and I think there's been there's been a bit of change. And obviously, there's so much news around the AJ Brown trade that the Titans have sort of dropped off a bit, and I don't think they have the same uh, expectations this season that um, that they had last season. I think things have changed a bit in Tennessee, um, and I think that you know they've brought in enough enough um, coverage and players to I think perhaps move on from. Um, Brown, it's not like he's left a big glaring hole. You know, you mentioned Traylon Burks. I think that's a really good pickup. That they are very similar in terms of stature and, and their builds and that sort of thing. So he could slot right in in that sort of um, contested catch role that, that Vrabel loves. Um, but also they brought in Robert Woods. And obviously he's coming off a torn ACL, but when he's fit, he's a great player. He's a great receiver. Um, and I think if it wasn't for the for the breakout of his of his compatriot in LA, I think he would probably still be at the Rams. So um, I think that was a good pickup from them. And obviously Julio's gone as well. And Julio, um, they traded, was it a second round pick for him? Boy, what an awful trade that ended up being. You know, like he did next to nothing last season. And, and now he's, he's with the books now, I think he's just signed. So, you know, That's he, right, he's, yeah. I don't know how the mighty have fallen. He used to be one of the best receivers in the league. And But I think the, the, the difference with the... Uh, with the Titans, I think this se- this season is is on the defensive side of the ball more than the offense. I think they've got enough to. Obviously, we we, we won't we won't go into Tannehill because we say it every time. Everything rests on his shoulders, and whether or not it, we see Dolphins Tannehill or t- or Titans Tannehill. Um, but I think the defensive side, like you look at their their secondary and their cornerbacks, like the cornerbacks are not great. They're not strong in terms of. Um, in terms of protecting the pass. And if you look at this AFC, you look at the teams that they're going to have to pay, play, how do they stop the pass? That's what concerns me if I'm a Titans fan. You know, you look at the, the likes of, of teams, around, not only in just in, in their division, and yeah, maybe their division is not the best in terms of passing, but, you know, we're going to come on to the Jags. They're going to get better with Doug Pedersen and, and hopefully Trevor Lawrence this second season. Um, the Colts have brought in Matt Ryan. They're going to be better. But then you look around the, the AFC itself, you know, you've got the Bills, You've got the Bengals, you've got the Ravens, you've got the Broncos, the entire of the FC West that all like to throw the ball. Like, how are they going to defend against that? And I think that could be a big hole in this Titans team. And I think the AF the AFC South this season is a lot more open than it was last season. I don't think it's as wrapped up. Now, the Jaguars and the Texans, I think, are perhaps are still a little off, but it's certainly not as wrapped up as it was. And I think there's definitely room for manoeuvring. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how this defense corps with with some of these air raid passing offenses that you get in the FC. Yeah, and I think I think back onto your point there about Derek Henry. Obviously, it's fitting that me being a Jags fan, you'd have me talking about Derek Henry because he seems to always pick up form when he plays the Jags, normally on Thursday night football. But um, I think overall, I think looking at it from the I think as you touched on, 
he came back into the playoffs and he just wasn't the player that we probably saw earlier in the year, probably in the year before that, uh, where he was just a monster. So I think overall, as you said, they got rid of AJ Brown. They're, they're probably looking to go into a direction of when the Pats had Brady at the hand with probably Edelman, Amendola, people like Hogan as well. So a very underwhelming cast of, of receivers. Um, I think they're going to try and really base it around the run, which is, why would you go against that really? You paid Henry all that money. You're going to run him into the ground. I'm not too sure what their depth chart's looking like in regards to the running back room. Um, but I'd imagine as soon as Derek's not there, I, I believe it'd be a bit of a uphill battle with the run game, which then again will open up Tannehill to see what he's got uh, with the arm. Can he really carry them? Can he be seen to throw it 25, 30 times a game if Henry's not there? But it's not all working out. And teams do work out a way of stopping the run. And I'd like to think everyone, at least in the AFC South, would... I think have made moves. I know the Jags have, and I'll touch on. Obviously, they've made amendments to their defensive line. Where can we try and stuff that run? Because that's a big part of it. You play them twice a year, so I suspect to be two wins that could ultimately turn your season around effectively. So, yeah, I think overall it's a case of see what mood they're in really as the Titans, and if they can really get behind Henry again, they'll be okay. But if if any teams cause a problem, does Plan B really work? I think. Yeah, Josh, let's throw it back to you, mate, just in terms of then sort of, um, you know, prediction for the season, you know, maybe pick a, a player or or two that you've got your eye on for whatever the reason may be, good or bad. Yeah, so in terms of prediction, I'm just running through the, I'm, as I am off to do on these, I sort of look at the schedule and see if there's any particular bad runs to look out for. And realistically, you know, their start's not terrible. Giants, Bills, Raiders, then Colts to start off. They have an early bye, which is a bit of an issue, but, uh, you know, it's the middle of the season that they have to look out for. They're away to the Chiefs, home to the Broncos, away to the Packers, then home to the Bengals, and then away to the Eagles, all in five games. And, you know, that's weeks nine through 14, I think. So that's going to be, you know, where they are, if they are going to come unstuck or, you know, forge themselves, you know, as a strong unit, it's going to be in that window. I I look at those I look at those teams and I wonder is Tennessee you know where do Tennessee sit in that group of 6 and right now I probably put them maybe fourth you know yeah probably fourth of 6 there so you look at that that being a huge chunk of their season you then got to throw in teams like the Chargers um you, you know you got the Chargers in there as well of which you've not uh, you know, which are no charges in the uh, Cowboys. Sorry, that's what I was trying to get out. Charges in the Cowboys, which aren't in that as well, not towards the end of the season. And then all of a sudden, you could well be looking at maybe seven losses there. So you could be looking at 10 and seven. You know, does 10 and seven win you the AFC South? Maybe. I think if there's one division that 10 wins does win, I think it's potentially the AFC South. And also the NFC North, but I don't think you, that the Green Bay Packers are going to be as low as 10. But, you know, it's probably that sort of division where 10 does you. Um, in terms of players on the hot seat, I mean, we, we have our quarterback role and I respect it, but Tannehill definitely needs to be watching his back. With uh, Willis coming in, it's definitely not a coincidence that he was brought in and was highly touted. Um Let's go with Trayvon Burks. You know, guy was brought in to replace AJ Brown. 
AJ Brown's just been signed by the Philadelphia Eagles for was it a hundred million dollars? Hundred million over the, four years. Yeah, yeah, hundred million over four years. I mean, that's no, that, that, you know, you know that 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 is a serious wide receiver talent that you have let walk out the door, and then five seconds later, you announce that this guy is the future. It's big. It's a big build to put on your shoulder there, you know, from the off. So, you know, for better or for worse, that's going to be, that's going to weigh on you. But like like you guys have said, the defense is a issue, especially in terms of the secondary. They're going to have to come out strong. It's, um, you, you know, that there, there are plenty of positions there. But I do think that when you look at your QB1 and probably your, your your wide receiver one or two, depending on where he sits in with that, it, you know, both of them have kind of got a target on their back early doors and you don't really want that going into August. No, definitely not. I think, you know, Ryan Tannehill, to be fair to him, you know, last season he probably reverted more to the Ryan Tannehill people expected him to be when he first joined. I think, to be fair to him, up until that point, Let's be honest, he's been pretty phenomenal, hasn't he? I think, you know, his touchdown to interception ratio had been crazy. Um, you know, he was the reason they were winning games. I think last season he really did regress. And ultimately, as you said, there'll be a big focus on what he can or he can't do um, in terms of that offence moving forward. Like I say, again, Derek Henry but will obviously be massive. He's, you know, we talk about the MVP race every year. There's probably no more valuable player to their team than Derek Henry is to the... Titans in terms of what he brings to that team. Um, so he will be obviously massive to get him back. Um, but certainly they probably just about start as favourites for the division. Um, but yeah, certainly, like you say, if the if you were looking at any of the teams that finished first last year that you were saying, have I got great confidence in them? Probably this is, like you say, one of the teams that actually you've probably seen alternatives. One of those alternatives might well be the Indianapolis Colts. They threatened to gate crash the postseason party at the back end of last year, ultimately coming up just short. Steve, take us through their offseason, buddy. Yeah, so the Colts, um, obviously the biggest tra- the biggest news coming out of Indianapolis was um, shipping off Carson Wentz. Um, once again, Wentz moves on to Washington and finds himself another starting job. Um, and the Colts find themselves looking for another starting quarterback. Um, you don't need me to tell you that they are the only team in the NFL um, that have had five starting quarterbacks that will, uh, in five consecutive seasons, that will probably start 14 or more games, assuming Matt Ryan doesn't get injured. Um, you know, after Andrew Luck retired, they moved on to Jacoby Brissett, then it was Philip Rivers, then Carson Wentz, and now it's Matt Ryan. Um, and they just seem to to keep rolling on and on and on. And, and uh, um, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot riding on this season. I think you you have to start questioning whether or not this is a feasible long term plan because if it was working and they were going to the playoffs and going maybe like deep into the playoffs every season, then fine. But it's not working, and it's not, and and you know Chris Ballard keeps taking swings at the quarterback position position and keeps coming up shy. Um, so you've got to question whether or not that's that's um, um, a sound sort of tactic. And Matt Ryan's thirty-seven. You know, yes, he's come off. Um, you know, he's been in a, in a poor Atlanta team for a few seasons now. He's been taking sacks behind that awful offensive line. 
I, I like Matt Ryan. I think he's a good player, but he's on the wrong side of you know, on the wrong side of thirty-five. Dare I say? You know, I don't think he's quite Tom Brady. I don't think he's got another eight years in him. So is he just another plug? You know, a, a stopgap, another plug for one season, and then next year they go again. And you know, who's it going to be next year? Jimmy G? Like, who knows? It it, it seems a, a, an odd um, conundrum for them to be in. Um, and is Matt Ryan enough to for a win now quarterback? Is he the type of guy that's going to take you to? You know, to to that game in February, I, I, I doubt it. So interesting sort of um, technique from the Colts in terms of the way they're building the roster. Um, my concern around Matt Ryan is that I rate Ryan more than perhaps any of the others that he's following. Perhaps maybe peak Luck, but Luck was so injury prone that by the end he wasn't the same player. Um, but where's his receivers? T.Y. Hilton's gone. Um, Zach Pascal's gone. Uh, Jack Doyle retired. Um, so I know they've I know they've obviously uh, brought in a couple of players. Uh, Michael Pittman's obviously a great receiver, but he can't do it all himself. Paris Campbell probably needs to improve, and he needs to um, see if he can stay fit and healthy all season. Um, they're going to need a lot of input, from that, and I think they're probably still in the market for a, for a number two receiver. It wouldn't surprise me if if you know we're recording on the eighth of August. It wouldn't surprise me if pre week one they do bring in another veteran guy or another receiver, or maybe even make a trade for someone because um, I think they need it. Because um, I think without a receiver, this this Colts offense is lacking a little bit. Um, you know they're going to start to look to uh, the the run game again. The run game is is was impressive last year, and I'm sure it will continue to be impressive this year. Um, but that offensive line, left tackle is a question. Um, you know they re- they brought in Eric Fisher. He didn't really work out. Gave up seven sacks and 41 pressures last year. Uh, left, <clears throat> excuse me, left tackle is an important position in this NFL. So it, I, you know Matt Pryor, who was a backup at the Eagles, is currently the number one spot for that. So I can't see that being too much of a uh, of a, of a, a starter right there, so yeah, they've got some questions around the lead around the uh, roster in terms of um, uh, in terms of where they go from here. Um, I do like their defense. That's the one thing I will say about the tight. Uh, the sorry, the Colts um, is I do like their defense. You know, they brought in Yannick and Gokwe. They drafted Quitty Pay. I think they've got a good defensive line. Um, I do. They've brought in a couple of veteran guys, Stefan Gilmore, Rodney McLeod. They've got, you know, backfield is decent if those guys can stay healthy. So I do like their defense, but I just question whether or not they've got the ability to get it done um, in terms of the, um, in terms of the air game, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the, the passing game. And in terms of their draft, um, they added the draft. And, and one thing that Chris Ballard um has has done relatively well so far. Well, during his tenure in in Indianapolis, is he's he's drafted quite well. Um, obviously, they didn't have a first rounder because that went off to Philadelphia as part of the Carson Wentz trade. Um, they picked up a lot of pressure is going to be on Alec Pierce if he can contribute straight away as a second rounder as wide receiver. Um, um, few ga- few guys um, that are going to need to contribute. I think pretty pretty straight off straight off the bat. Um, Nick Cross coming in at safety, third round. Um, I think he could be important for them. Um, but in terms of their acquisitions outside of the draft, um, I've already touched on Yannick Ngokwe and Stefan Gilmore and Rodney McLeod. I think they added some really important pieces on defence. Um, re-signing Moali Cox was, I think, was a was a, a decent signing with, obviously, uh, another player retiring in that position. And obviously, Nick Foles comes back. Because he just doesn't want to go away in this league, and Nick, the Nick Foles train rumbles on. He's, I know he's won a quarter, a Super Bowl with my team of all, but he is turning into this Chase Daniel figure, isn't he? 
Like he's getting backup jobs around the league and he's going to get paid an absolute fortune. And I'm sure he will. He, this won't be his last team. I am absolutely sure. Of it. Um, so yes, the Vols train rides on with his old coach again. Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting off season in in, uh, in Indianapolis. Yeah, let's um, let's pass it round to the other two guys. Robson, I think Steve's given a pretty good overview there. I think the the defense certainly has been shored up. I think the, the you know the move to bring Stefan Gilmore in, you know, potentially one of the better ones of the off season, right across the league. Obviously, a premier corner. Um, you know, not often you can add that kind of talent through free agency. Although he's obviously sort of getting on towards the back end of his career, and Gokwe has been a, peren- a perennial decent pass rusher, hasn't he? This defense. Probably doesn't get as much love as it as it probably deserves, but it, it probably needs to based on what um, what Steve said there about the offense. I suppose if you're sitting there as a divisional rival, as a, a fan of a team as you are, you're probably looking at offense thinking, you know, I'd fancy our defense to to stop this one. Yeah, I think I think again with the main thing with the Colts is like I think the Titans, the O line's very strong, and Jonathan Taylor was was again proving last year why he, he was picked where he was. So I think. Every team in this division, again, as I've said before, is obviously trying to strengthen in the defensive situations to try and counter that. And I think overall, with their, as I say, with their wide receiver room, very underwhelming. Um, I think uh, Paris Campbell probably got a really pick up to get behind Pittman Jr. this year. And apart from that, again, there's a massive drop off. Obviously, uh, Moadi Cox at tight end is, again, one option. But then after that, you are scratching around to try and find that third, fourth, fifth receiver or that maybe that tight end or running back that can make a difference. And at the minute on their roster that I can just see, I don't think anyone really stands out there, I think. So as soon as you get past the main the main core of their uh, their offensive attack, I think it's, uh, it's uh, again, an uphill battle for them. But then again, Matty Ryan's coming into it with an O-line that's actually very decent, a running back that obviously he had Cordero Patterson last year with the Falcons, but before that it was Devontae Freeman. He had like one very good season, just injury prone, so he's not really had a good O-line and a good running back consistently. So if they can get something rolling there, Matty Ryan with his experience, uh, I think could maybe take them to where they need to be. But I'd fancy most teams probably shut down their offence unless they can come with some mad game plan on Frank Reich and pull something out of the hat. Yeah, Josh, let's, um, let's let's sort of continue that conversation in terms of the quarterback and just get your view on the way that they are approaching this. As, as Steve said, you know, third different start and having three seasons. I obviously were rocked by that. Andrew Luck news going back, you know, was it now four or five years now to the, you know, the sort of eve of the season and he and he dropped the bombshell that he was retiring. Does seem a very strange strategy though, doesn't it? Everybody else in the league going for that, you know, quarterback through the draft. Um, you know, certainly if they're if they're exploring options through trade or free agency to younger guys, but the Colts seem to just be be going for this sort of quote unquote proven veteran. Like you say, a thirty-seven still a third round pick. I mean, I'm, you know, my view on draft picks, I think they're probably a little bit overvalued, if I'm honest. I think if you can get a proven commodity for a third round, you'd probably take it every day of the week. Um, but this is certainly only a one or two year thing with Matt Ryan, isn't it? Even if it works out, you know, in his best case scenario, it's only going to be for a, a couple of seasons. So, what's your view on the way the Colts are approaching this? Well, it was obvious that they needed to do something at quarterback. It was more of a case of how do you go about it? And if you actually look at the QB carousel, it wasn't a massive carousel this year. Unless, you know, you could go down the Watson route, for example. There were a couple of moves here and there. But when you actually consider the the, the ones who are at play, you know, you look at Wilson, you look at uh, the fact that Jimmy G is available, 
uh, apparently available. Um, you know, he might not have been when they first started looking, for example. Um, you know, the, the, other, the, the, the other real option was Drew Locke, and I don't think that anyone would willingly go for Drew Locke. Um, personally, I think they should have gone for Baker Mayfield. I think that he would have probably have been the best fit in terms of the scheme of which they've got going on down there and in terms of likelihood of getting them back in for multiple years. But like you say, I think that this has something more to do with the future planning going forward. I don't think that the Colts saw anybody available to them. So let's take away Watson. Let's take away Wilson. Um, You know, anyone that was on the board that passed 2024 um, was going to move the needle without needing money. So they are probably looking at the next year or two of drafting in somebody that the QB prospects, we've all said from our draft podcast onwards, that QB prospects were not the same sort of talents of which we are, are come to expect and be day one starters. So they are probably looking, they, they do probably look for a plug-in and play now quarterback. And, you know, Matt Ryan's still a fantastic quarterback when you look at it, really. You know, he's he's elevated an incredibly poor Atlanta Falcons side, if we're being perfectly honest. I think that if, uh, if Matt Ryan wasn't there, then Atlanta would be rock bottom. Um, you know, and I think that they might end up seeing that with Marcus Mariota, you know, a little plug for the NFC South uh podcast next week but uh you know it's very much a case of if you're looking at the carousel and what's available the cults are probably looking at it and thinking well we're gonna have to address it again in a couple of years we address it every year anyway we might as well get someone that's actually good and go from there yeah it'd be strange to see him lining up in a different uniform but as you say he's certainly still got the the tools to to hopefully do a good job for a couple of years for them but like you say those pass catches do leave a little bit of concern steve let's uh, round it off and come back to you mate in terms of prediction on the record do you think they can overhaul the titans at the top of the division um and you know what player are we looking out for you're on mute buddy Amateur, amateur hour. My um, God, we've only been doing this for years, mate. Uh, um, no, they have to get another wide receiver in. I, I can't give give them that number number one seed in the AFC South until until they get another wide receiver in. Because as much as I think Pittman is a good receiver, um, I don't think they've got got enough of the position, um, uh, especially with some of the you know some of the offenses they're going to face. I just don't think they've got enough. Um, but I think in terms of in in terms of the roster itself, I think you, there's a few players that you could be looking out for. I think Gokwe, you'd look to him to make a splash in the division and 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 really sort of um, take that rush attack up to another level. Um, I think him on one side and Quitty Pay on the other side could be a real sort of dangerous attack for for opposing quarterbacks. Um, in terms of on the hot seat, I'm going to go for um, Chris Ballard. I really do because I think he's he's one of these GMs that's always considered quite a safe sort of uh, you know builds a good roster sort of GM and and I think with the, we obviously had the conversation earlier about the quarterback and and you know Matt Ryan's obviously a short sighted plug you know plug to to sort them out for this season but who knows going forward but if this fails again and Matt Ryan's gone at the end of this season that's five quarterbacks in five seasons. 
Their offensive, you know, their, their passing attack looks questionable. They've got questions on the offensive line when it was previously a really good line. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad, but you know, there's starting to be questions there. Um, and a couple of the, you know, the, if if we're going to take it from a negative perspective on what could happen, a couple of their defensive additions are sort of veterans that you know sometimes don't always play the same when they move on to new teams. You know, Stefan Gilmore, yes, he was great in New England. Um, you know, he wasn't incredible in Carolina last season and could be, be on a downward trend in his career. You know, so you look at someone like that, you know, who doesn't maybe doesn't have a great season and this this Colts team ends maybe sub 500, dare I say, then, you know, I, I, again, you know, this is, it seems crazy, but this is the NFL. Weird things have happened. I'm not saying he's going to get fired, but I think there is starting to be some heat under Chris Ballard's seat. Yeah, I think that's fair, mate. So what have you done for me lately? League, isn't it? And like you say, I think, you know, there does need to be a marked improvement. I think, you know, they're almost in that sort of Jeff Fisher seven and nine perennial sort of um, conversation, aren't they? They need to get out of that funk. Like you say, there's plenty of promise there. I think they need to add a few pieces. We've discussed discussed that, but a pretty decent defence should see the Colts fairly competitive in a division that we think is potentially there for the taking. Um, probably we think it's there for the taking because of the two teams that finished lower in the division last year, but they have both made improvements, to be fair. I'll start us off in terms of the Houston Texans. One of the biggest surprises, I think, in terms of the coaching fires, to get that straight off the bat in terms of David Cully being moved on, I thought it was a strange one because what were the realistic expectations for the Texans in 2020, 2021? I know, right? Um, Ridiculous. Yeah, you know, they, let's be honest, we all sat here at, the, at these preview pods last year saying, well, there's your first 0-17 team. This team's not going to win anything. You know, They managed to win four games. They were competitive in a number of other games and, and you know, David Cully seemed to have built a fairly decent culture, um, which is really what they were looking to build, it seemed, after the sort of Bill O'Brien years and, and all the rest of it. But, yeah, they they obviously pulled the plug on that. So, Lovey Smith um, coming in, who, to be fair, at least in the off-season, seems to have done everything well um, that you would have asked of him. So, you know, maybe they will ultimately be proven right on that one. Um, but, um, like I say, David Cully out, Lovey Smith in. Um, biggest notable things for the Texans in the offseason, not going to touch on it too much. They've obviously got rid of the Deshaun Watson issue. We'll touch on that when we get to the AFC North preview. Um, but obviously a huge relief for the Texans. Um, and obviously you've got a pretty decent haul in the end. Um, so fair play to them in terms of holding out and getting um, you know, a bit of a king's ransom for somebody that was never going to play for them again. Um and in terms of additions, quite a lot of notable additions, really, not only just through the draft, but also in free agency. Um, you know, Robson's already talked about people beefing up on the defensive line, but Lee Collins coming in an extra big body in the middle, Raheem Green as a defensive end. Stephen Nelson, cornerback, um, addressed offensive line. They've brought in Andy Janovich as a bit of a bruising fullback, and Marianne Addison, another one for the defensive end position. Um, and I think overall, it's been a pretty good off-season when it comes to the Texans, all things considered. I think if you look at the um, the smart money that they've spent in free agency in terms of those priority positions, you know, a backup quarterback coming in in Kyle Allen, um, because I think, you know, to be fair, Davis Mills was actually pretty good last year when you actually look at the numbers, particularly down the stretch. I mean, if you play fantasy football, he was very good down the stretch. I think he actually finished a, a top 10 QB for those of you that play fantasy football over the last five or six weeks of last season. But he certainly grew into the season as it progressed. So I think, you know, getting a, a reasonable backup quarterback in isn't a bad share. And like I said, they've addressed that defensive end and offensive line position. 
most exciting though, really, is probably through the draft for me. Um, I think Derek Stingley was was sort of touted as a potential top pick. You know, when you go back sort of 12 months, he's obviously stocks fell a little bit. Um, but I think obviously got all the talent in the world at the cornerback position. Um, Kenyon Green on the offensive line. The one player I was I was really looking forward to seeing was John Meachie. And, you know, heart goes out to John Meachie, diagnosed with a form of leukaemia which is likely to see him off the field probably for all of 2022. Hopefully, the positive news is that the long-term prognosis is one that, you know, is favourable when it comes to these things, as favourable as these things can be. So good luck to John Meachie in terms of his battle that's ahead and hopefully he can get back on the field in 2023 because I think he will be a really good addition to the franchise. But it seems to me, gents, in summary, as a team that have been on the reverse for the last few years, since they had that lead against the Chiefs in the um, championship game a couple of years ago, everything basically went wrong from the minute they lost that 24 or 28 point lead or whatever it was a few years ago. Culture went down, head coach went, quarterback went, the rosters, you know, tumbled. I actually think this has been a pretty decent off-season, fellas. Um, Josh, going to bring you in, mate. Um, and then, obviously, like I say, Steve and Robson had your thoughts to it as well. But Texans off-season for me, pretty good. Yeah, the Texans are in you know another team in a string of the lower teams of which I think have had really good off seasons. I think that the NFL, you know, obviously encourages the teams at the lower end to you know to do well when you look at like the drafts and stuff like that, but you need teams to actively want to be better as well. And I think that the Texans, in terms of their rebuilding, have you know, taking really good steps to be able to get there. I, the, the one issue I do have, though, is with the coaching change. I think that that speaks to a very frantic front office of which Houston has had for a long time. Um, like you say, pretty much ever since they lost that 24-28 uh, point lead to the Kansas City Chiefs in that playoff game. I remember it well. It's just a long, long time ago now, it seems, so, such as the uh, regularity of sport, I suppose, that, um, you, you know, we look back on that as kind of like a, do you remember when the Texans were good? I know it was a while ago, but cast your minds back. <laughs> um, you know, they had Deshaun Watson back then, and he was playing on all cylinders. Um, you know, so you, you look at that, and that's the sort of Texans team which they aspire to be again. Uh, they're probably a couple of years out before they start being truly competitive, but they've definitely improved on last year. And, you know, last year they they did pull some punches. Yeah, most definitely, mate. Like I said, I think, um, you know, that, that was essentially my summing up as well. Like I said, I think they outperformed where they expected to be last year and, like I said, a pretty good base that, that they can build off. Rob, so much your thoughts on them. Yeah, I think, again, as we've both touched on there, um, the playoffs saga against Kansas City was a, a big one. But I think it's a case of, I think at that time, there was a lot of unrest about Bill O'Brien and him being the head coach last GM. I think the fan base, from what I hear, uh, wasn't happy with it and the way they were going about it. And I think since really, not the Sean Watson, but since they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins for pretty much peanuts, um, kind of like set them on a really, really wobbly path. And I think once you were then tie up a QB and Watson to so much money, I think that's a massive issue. But again, obviously with the coaching change, you've got uh, a new head coach again, who have you um, have touched on as 
addressed what he can do with what he's got. Obviously, he's uh, he's taken a couple of players off the Jags of free agency at wide receiver and Chris Conley and Philip Dorsett um, in the round. Brandon Cooks, who again can be a really good receiver if healthy. So, um, whether David Mills can sling it around and get some more fancy points of people doing it that way. But I think overall, they're a team that have really just got to keep stripping it all back, find an identity. Whether uh, Lovey Smith stays in the position any longer, I know there's a lot of talk about other coaches being ready for the role and stuff like that. So, whether that's a, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But obviously, I think they've got to find some consistency, give a coach some time and give him a chance to really work with the GM and make sure that they've got a competitive team going into next season and the season beyond that, I think. Yeah, I think it's echo everyone's everyone's thoughts so far. I think the the Texans have just are just starting to come out of the back of an awful slide, which I agree with you started when they traded away Hopkins. And I think when you trade away who was at the time probably the best receiver in the league, or certainly up in the conversation, when you do that, that upsets a locker room. And I think that showed with all of these players wanting out. You know, JJ Watt wanted out, or Deshaun Watson wanted out before all of the stuff came out. You know, there's all these players wanted out, and they I think they've only just started to recover from it. I again echo echoing your guys' thoughts. I don't really agree with the coaching change. Uh, it was a bit of a strange one. I think if you if you're gonna do it and then bring in one of the guys that was on the you know the the merry-go-round that was that has gone to some of the other teams that have hired, then I sort of get it. But to bring in Lovey Smith, who I think a lot of people thought his time in the league was up and he was never going to get another head coaching job. Um, it's a bit of a strange one, but, you know, we'll see. I think with with the Texans this season, I think there's definitely reasons to be optimistic. You know, they've got some good youth. Like you mentioned, Sean, I think Davis Mills is going to surprise a few people. I don't think he's the next Patrick Mahomes, but I think he's going to surprise a few people. They, they drafted well, dare I say. I think they actually had a pretty decent draft. You've already touched on it, Sean, but Derek Stanley's a great cornerback. Um Jalen Petra, the safety out of Baylor, I think that was a really good pickup. Christian Harris, the linebacker at Alabama. You know, they've got some really good young players. And I think they are starting to build a bit of a roster again, once again. Um, but I think with the, with the as with uh, as with most teams we discussed, their, their issue is their schedule. Uh, they have a really early bye week. Their bye week is week six, which is like, I think, the earliest you can have. Um, and yeah. this, this is their stretch of games to finish the season, right? I'll start at week 12. They go to Miami. Um, which is on Thanksgiving weekend. Then they've got uh, away to Cleveland, sorry, at home to Cleveland, away to Dallas, at home to Kansas City, away to Tennessee, a divisional game against Jacksonville, and then they finish up with a divisional game at Indianapolis. That's not an easy stretch of games, of, of six, seven games to finish a season on. Um, so the Texans could very well find themselves on a slide. But I, th- I, I agree. I think they'll do what they did last year. and they'll be competitive in a few more games. And it wouldn't surprise me for them to pick up five or six wins. Um, I think they'll be better than last season. And I think they've got a better roster and a better chance of doing it. Yeah, completely agree. That's that's kind of where I've got them sort of in and around that sort of five to seven win mark. I think they you know, will certainly, like you say, surprise a few. I think overall the roster has improved. Player to look out for for me, um, Marlon Mack. Um, last time we really saw him, he was actually leading the Colts rushing attack and then he picked up a terrible injury in the first game of the 2020 season. And when he recovered from that injury, the Colts had discovered that they had Jonathan Taylor on the roster. So he never really obviously then got a chance to get back on the field. He's actually coming off a thousand yard season the last time he actually took any meaningful snaps. Um, the running back room has pretty much been a by committee approach in veteran journeyman players since the days of Arian Foster leading that backfield. So I'm going back, what, five or six years there now. 
Um, you know, so I think Marlon Max got a chance to cement himself back in the conversation as, uh, you know, a sort of very low end but a starting running back within the league. Um, I think he can be a different dimension than something that they didn't have throughout the course of last year. Um, Robson's already touched on him, but I think Brandon Cooks is a really, really good receiver. Um, he's consistently done it with below average quarterback play. Um, you know, again, put up a thousand yards last season, put up a thousand yards the season before that as well. Every every season that he's actually been able to complete at least fifteen games, he's put up over a thousand yards. There's only one season since twenty fifteen that he hasn't done that. So he's consistently proven that he is a very, very good player. Um so I think there's lots of reasons to be optimistic when it comes to the Texans, and like I said, we've got a bit of an unwritten rule that we don't spend too much time on the quarterback on these uh, previews, but I certainly think that Davis Mills deserves some credit for the rookie campaign that he put up, I think, when he was drafted. Don't forget, the Texans didn't have a pick until the third round in that draft after some of the various business they'd done previously, and everybody absolutely annihilated them for picking up Davis Mills with that first pick in the third round. Um, it could prove to be one of the better things that they've done and potentially that was the start of the turning point that got the franchise back on track. So, yeah, plenty of reason for the Texans to be optimistic. Last but by no means least, the Jacksonville Jaguars, as I've been told to pronounce it earlier today on a different podcast I was recording, so I will try and stick with that American pronunciation. But we are across the pond, so balls to it. The Jaguars, that's how we say it. In the UK, Robson, I'm going to defer to you and your far superior knowledge. Might take us through the off season for the uh, for the Jags. Well, I think obviously last year needs to be forgotten about quickly. I know that whenever I talk to anyone now about the Jaguars in any capacity, it's all about oh, you had Urban Meyer, you had this problem, you had this problem. Uh, oh, you kicked your kicker and stuff like that. So that's very much gone now. That is out the door, which is. Obviously, we've just smiled at a few people's faces that don't support the team, but obviously it's a, it's a gut wrench when you have to talk about it quite a lot. So, But we're going to a year now where I feel there's a lot of optimism purely for the fact that we've brought in a coach, obviously, Super Bowl winner in Doug Peterson. Um, he's come in, he's shown in the past that he's had uh, a capability of getting a team together, getting a roster together um, and being, being able to make it a winner, really. I think, uh, obviously, he has his own style of play. He tells you how he wants to obviously work the ball offensively and obviously he kind of, from what I read about him, he's, he's very much my defensive side of the ball takes care of itself with the coaches that are higher. So obviously I think which is a big thing. Um, and on top of that, obviously bringing in Mike Colwell, first time DC from Tampa. I think that's, again, another massive thing for us because we've got a very young unit. I think we go into it probably the second youngest roster or third youngest roster uh, in the league this year. Uh, so obviously a lot of excitement around the team uh, and whether we can really dig our heels in really and obviously get stuck in defensively because I know last year people talk about what happened on the field I think it's more about there was just a lack of coaching and a lack of a lack of attention to detail all over the park and I think that really showed when you watched every game we played really apart from the ones that we probably won so I think that was a massive problem but obviously going into it obviously Trent Bolke probably the little piece of the puzzle that they want to get rid of but obviously I think he's done quite a good job in free agency uh, this year I think we've turned over about eight players from my notes here um with the second highest cap uh, number to work with. So, obviously, and I think overall, I think we've addressed needs that were eye-opening for the Jags uh, and for fans, obviously, following the team. I think, obviously, 
Overall, it was uh, offensive line, linebacker, and probably wide receiver were the massive ones there. And the most money we spent on our, our free agents, obviously, in Brandon Scherf, uh, the guard from Washington Commanders, Christian Kirk uh, from the Cardinals, who got a massive contract, but obviously it works out quite friendly for the team and isn't as big as other people paid for, other, obviously, other players. And Foyer, Foyer Olekun, I'm, I'm going to get that, I'm going to hash his name over the year. But obviously, uh, he's coming in at linebacker, um, who led the tackles last year. Um, in the league so three people there I think could be massive cornerstones to what the Jets want to try and build and obviously what Doug Peterson wants to build also but again you look at the, the depth of that free agency class we've brought in Zay Jones who's well receiving from the Raiders Evan Ingram on a one-year deal from the Giants uh, in, uh, at the tight end position and Darrell Williams who obviously was a Super Bowl winner last year with the Rams adds just a bit more strength at the cornerback position which overall I think in the division itself is rather weak so I think the Jets can really plug that away and obviously work with him, uh, Shaq Griffin and Tyson Campbell, one of our rookies from last year, I think overall we could have a, a very, very good chance of doing something defensively to give ourselves the best chance to win games. Uh, then obviously, bulky masterclass number two was obviously the draft this year. Obviously, multiple picks again this year, number one overall, uh, taking Trayvon Walker out of Georgia, I think was obviously, at the time, I think shocked a few people. I think he was dead set on Aiden Hutchinson or we maybe draft down, but obviously... At the moment, from what I've seen from the camp, uh, he seems to be fitting in quite nicely and making uh, experienced players look quite schoolboy at times with his, his overall presence. Um, then again, obviously, the Jacks had... Uh, they came back into the first round and obviously got Devon Lloyd out of Utah, a linebacker, again, sideline-to-sideline uh, side sort of guy, which I think will make a massive difference with uh, with Foyer. Foyer Olukun. There we go. <laughs> um, How many times are you going to have to practice that one this season? Yeah, all the time, all the time. Uh, obviously, then we got him as well, and then obviously taking away the second round pick we took away. We uh, we picked up Chad Murmur in the in the third round out of Wyoming. Again, another linebacker, which probably the best linebacker still on the board, which I think shocked a few people, but fans of the Jags will probably know. Obviously, we lost Mark Jack in free agency, uh, and it was a bit of a blow to the team. But since then, we've not really replaced anything since uh, Paul Pazlasny left the side. Uh, about three or four years ago. We've not really filled that void and we've had massive holes in the linebacker position. So I think adding those three players uh, this season could make a massive difference. Uh, a player for me that I am I think has been under-talked about at the minute outside of the Jags, I think is Luke Fortner uh, coming in out of Kentucky. Um, looks like he's going to play centre. Obviously, we re-signed Tyler Shatley this year to a, a two-year team-friendly deal. Um, but Luke Fortner comes in. I think he's been taking starter reps uh, with Trevor Lawrence in the centre. Um, and looked quite good the other night in the Hall of Fame game for whatever that game really is. Um, but again, it's valuable time for him on the field, which is a, another bonus for us. And then we go down into another running back depth in Snoop Connor out of Old Miss, uh, Gregory Jr. and Monteric Brown, uh, both cornerbacks uh, in the later round. So I think overall, we've just added more depth at the back end of that, which again, I think gives us a good chance to obviously, hopefully, see us where we need to be uh, in and around um, later in the season. Because I know that we've got a bit of a a tricky schedule. Obviously, it starts off fairly steady, um, but then it, we we meet the AFC West teams all in a row, um, in and around travelling over to the UK where we play the Broncos. And normally we have the bye week in and around them, but we're back on we're back on the road the week after. I think we're playing the uh, the Chargers the week after, then the Chiefs after that. So there's a string of three to five games in the middle of the season where it will define where the team's at. I know Doug Peterson's come out; he's been very very positive. He's, I think he's quite good at manipulating the media into thinking a few things in regards to where we're at as a side. But I think overall, um, going into this year, no expectation, but obviously just seeing a new regime uh, and making sure that we can 
after you do the best for it. You've got Trevor Lawrence going into year two, but he's being coached by an ex-quarterback who's won the Super Bowl uh, as a head coach, which is, a, again, been, I think a massive thing for the side. And obviously, we've, we've technically got an extra first-round pick from this year because it's Travis Etienne out of Clemson. Obviously, he didn't play one snap last year uh, under the Urban Meyer regime. So having him there, really, is like having an extra first-round pick and we can really get to see what he's all about because the league knows nothing. He's got no tape out there from... Uh, any NFL games to really show us what he's about. So, and I'm, I'm hearing that he's tearing it up at training camp at the moment. So, overall, I think it's just a year of excitement and optimism. But I think, in terms of what direction we'll go in, I think it's going to be very unclear until we get into the season a little bit and we kind of see what sort of shape the schemes and everything takes from there, to be honest with you. Yeah, Steve, let's, let's chuck this one over to you because obviously, Doug Pedersen, um, you've obviously got very happy memories from his time with the Eagles, and I think, you know, it was a bit of a surprise when he ultimately left there. He, he obviously took the route of taking a bit of time away before jumping back in. Um, but one of the reasons he's going to have done so is because of the fact that Trevor Lawrence is the guy that's under centre there. He probably gets a little bit of a pass for last year with everything that was going on around the franchise, but obviously as a number one overall pick, let's be honest, if you look at it from a pure number perspective, it wasn't good last year. Um, I don't think there's any any gloss in that, you know. He, you know, was it just under... So just over three and a half thousand yards, 17 picks against only 12 touchdowns. So, you know, you can gloss that up whatever way you want. It wasn't good. So, you know, thoughts on Doug Pedersen and do you think he, he's the right man to bring the best out of Trevor Lawrence, who's undoubtedly obviously got bags and bags of talent? I was waiting to see where Pedersen was going to end up. Um, I think, I, were, the, were the Jags the first team to make a coaching hire in the cycle? I think they were. Um, and I think they nailed it. I think they absolutely nailed it. Now, obviously, you might say that I'm a bit biased because he came from my Eagles and he won a Super Bowl. But look at his profile. He's an ex-quarterback in the league. He managed to coach Carson Wentz to the point where he took the Eagles to a Super Bowl. And they would not have won the Super Bowl without Wentz's performance before he got injured. Um and then he 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 took them all away with a backup in Nick Foles. So as as a Jags fan, as as as, as Trevor Lawrence, I don't think you can ask for a better head coach than that. I think they've really really nailed that hire. And I think I I'd forgotten about the um about the head coaching fiasco in in Jacksonville last season. I'd forgotten about Urban Meyer. Oh wow, what a pleasure to be reminded of that fiasco. <laughs> um, but I think you. With Jacksonville last season, you just have to write it off. I think I absolutely agree. You just literally have to write it off because, yes, Lawrence's Lawrence's performance was not great. You can't write it up any other way. It wasn't it wasn't great at all. But I think with with any quarterback that's picked in in the sort of first round, even top 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 ten picks, those teams generally are teams that don't have a complete roster. And if you look at Trevor Lawrence, he walked into an absolute what now is a dumpster fire in in Jacksonville last season. Um, and he, and everything was on the cost. They they lost like you said they lost their starting running back Travis Etienne before the season even season even began. So that's even more pressure on Trevor Lawrence's shoulders. But one thing I will say, um, they've obviously made a good coaching hire in, in Doug Peterson. I think he has his limitations. And I think sometimes his offense can be a bit one-dimensional. But he will get Trevor's, Trevor Lawrence playing better. I can guarantee you that. One thing I will say is, is we've all taken shots at Trent Balk over the years. Um, you know, he's not the best GM in the league. I think he's put together a pretty good offense. Whisper it quietly, but this offense is pretty good. Like, you know, they've got they've put plenty of receiving options. Say what you will about Christian Kirk's monster contract and however many million, billion dollars he got paid. But, um, you know, Christian Kirk, LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones Jr., Laquan Treadwell, Zay Jones, that's a good receiving core. You know, and I think ETM will do something out of the backfield. We're forgetting about James Robinson, who a couple of seasons ago was excellent. You know, he's a good running back. 
I've questions over the tight end. I've never really rated Evan Engram. It's it's a it's a you know it's a, it's a position to fill. It's an experienced guy. I'm sure he will add experience to that roster. But you know they've shored up some of the the offensive line positions as well. The guys know I'm a big a big fan of the trenches and, and bringing in someone like Brandon Scherf, I think is a good smart signing. Um, I think a lot of Jacksonville is is obviously going to be dependent upon the, the defense, like you mentioned. How are some of these linebackers going to fit in? How is their how is their secondary going to play? Are they going to get much? You know, Josh Allen's obviously a great player. Are they going to get much of the pressure on quarterbacks? Um, so you know, it's 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 a difficult one. I think they're obviously still in a bit of a a bit of a sort of building mode. But I think there are, if you look at this roster, and I think there are definitely shades of. Um, the Bengals from last season. Now, I'm not saying the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to the Super Bowl, but there's shades of that. You know, a, a new young quarterback, some new young receiving talent, a, a head coach that's got something to prove. You know, uh, some new players coming in to restart their careers in a new place, um, and a lot of sort of hype around it. So, you know, I think the, the Jags, after a long, a long time of being sort of the 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 basement team in the NFL, I think they've got a lot to look forward to this season. And I think the I don't think they'll be finishing last in the division this year. Josh, I'm going to pass it to you, mate, just to to round us off there. I, thought, I was just that Steve just gave me a lovely segue there because that was really going to be my question in terms of this. They obviously finished at the bottom of the pile in terms of the AFC South last year. We've said that you know, if anything, the teams at the top have potentially got a little bit weaker on paper in terms of the Titans. We discussed that at length when we were going through them. There's obviously some question marks on the Colts with another new quarterback. We're a little bit worried about who the ball's going to be thrown to. So. It does very much seem as a really wide-open division because the two teams at the bottom, we've just said here, the Texans have had a good off-season and we've just had a lot of positivity here about the Jags. Where realistically do you think the Jags can get to in terms of this season coming up? Well, I have the I have the pleasure of being able to get an advanced copy of the, uh, the Jags uh, season guide notes of which Robson was uh, very kind to write up on behalf of the uh, the network and as part of his role of Jags across the pond. And if you read it, and I definitely recommend any Jags fan to read it because it is the most glowing preview of the Jacksonville Jaguars that you could ever see. You read this and you think they could go 10 and 7 if they uh, <laughs> really put their, uh, really put things together. But being... Being level-headed, I look. I look at the schedule, and there is a winnable game every four or so games. You know, there's that they have this really odd schedule where nothing's really in a row. You have to take your chances where they come, and it's you know usually hidden behind some terrible games. You talk about that middle section, Robson. Uh, you know, Denver Raiders, Chiefs by, and then the Ravens, and then they get the Lions before then going to Titans and then Cowboys. But then towards the end of the season, they get Jets and Texans. So part of me wants to say six and eleven, but they have to take their chances when they come and not get rattled when they get on bad runs because. The schedule's not allowing them to get a positive run, I don't think. I think it's too soon for the Jags to get too much going throughout the season. They're going to have to smash and grab. Yeah, it obviously seems like an obvious way to close the the podcast, but I'm going to say anyway. I think the divisional games in this particular division really, really matter. Yeah, they're they're very evenly matched right across the board. You know, there's not a huge gulf between the team at the top of this division and the team at the bottom. Some divisions have got that, haven't they, where there's an obvious 
you know, basement dweller and there's one that he's obviously going to, well, say obviously, nothing's obvious, it's any given Sunday, but you know where I'm coming from. You look at it and you think, well, they're going to run away with it. You, you just can't see that in this AFC South. It seems too competitive. There's teams that are transitioning after having some downturns that seemingly are on the rise. Um, so I yeah. actually think it's going to be a fairly good, good move. Yeah, this is one good. of these divisions where everyone beats each other, isn't it, in the division exactly where that, there's, yeah, no, exactly there, there's no real runner. It's a bit like the, the NFC West where, you know, there, there, there is no safety when it comes to the divisional matchup. So like you say, if someone can get a four and two run out of it, you know, it's going to really help them to crack on. I I actually think the Jaguars' schedule's not all that bad in the grand scheme of things as well. Like, you know, they've got a bye week in week 11. They start at Washington, then Indianapolis, then the Chargers, then at Philadelphia, which hopefully I'm going to be at, by the way, at Philadelphia uh, versus Houston, at Indianapolis versus the Giants, Denver in London, Las Vegas, Kansas City. Now, obviously, those last three are, are tough divisional, uh, sorry, tough games against um, AFC West opponents. But apart from that, like, like you said, Josh, that they're all like, I'm not saying they're going to win them all, but they're, they're definitely got a shot in a lot of those games. You know, they've got Washington, they've got the Giants, they've got Houston. You know, they, you could even potentially include Indianapolis in that. And then after the bye, they've got Detroit, uh, they've got the Jets, they've got Houston again, and you put maybe put Tennessee in that conversation. They've definitely got winnable games. Definitely, they've got they've got winnable games. It's just that, especially after the emotional turmoil of the last season, for example, and also the fact that you know they aren't one of the top teams in the league. It's it's about having that mental capability to do what Houston kind of did last season, and just any given Sunday the. You know the league where, you know, you can go out and give it all. Look at the Lions towards the end of the season where they just said sod it and you know really went for it. They're going to have to have that mentality, especially at the games where they can win. You know, you break it down into f- sections of four. You know, Washington, Colts, Chargers, Philly. Now I'd have them to win maybe one of the first two of those. Houston, Colts, Giants, Denver. Again, maybe up to two. And then you start looking at Raiders, Chiefs, Ravens, Lions. You know, that Lions-Jags game is going to be something else, I think. It's going to be mm. one of the most underrated 6 o'clock kickoffs going that, that Sunday. And then you've got Titans, Cowboys, Jets, Houston, Tennessee to finish off. You know, get two out of that maybe. And then you're looking at six to seven wins for the season if you grab all those opportunities and that's without taking a smash and grab somewhere. So, yeah, like you say, there's definitely winnable games, and there's a lot to look forward to, especially if you're not expecting a lot this season. It's just a case of it's not going to be a case of you're going to be able to get on a high and then be like, right, we can take these, because, you know, you, you do get those blockers quite consistently throughout the year. What yeah. what does what does good look like for you, Robson? What what's a uh, good season for you? Yeah, so I've had, I've had many debates with people so far. I, I think the floor for this team, I think, is around three to four wins, and the ceiling could be around seven or eight. I think that's the, our bracket. I think if everything goes really well, I think if we do get the odd upset in now, if we beat the Bills last year in probably one of the worst offensive games anyone probably watched. I remember that so, screwed me up on an accusation. But obviously. I think you look at the games on that way again. If you could do that against the Kansas City, Baltimore Ravens, and Las Vegas Raiders this year, then it's all well and good. But then again, as we've said before, within the division itself, everyone beats everybody. And there's been times where we've taken on the Colts and the Titans, we've got big wins. But then against the Texans, where you, you would fancy 
us to go and win that game. We've gone and been turned over 0-2 in the last two seasons. So it's a case of like, are we are we our own worst downfall at times? But again, I think I think if we can avoid that that middle stretch being really behind the eight ball, like if we can grab two or three wins in that first seven games, I think obviously the sky's the limit then. I think you go into that patch of four games, one game after the bye week where, okay, you probably not expect them much. Maybe one if you can fluke one. But then again, I think the business end of the season really for the Jags, whether they're in playoff contention or not, or just getting off the bottom of the division, I think is from Detroit onwards because apart from Dallas and Tennessee, really, I'm looking at their thinking, again, the largely competitive, the Jets, I think I'm very un- unsure about where they're going to be at, at that point of the year as well. Obviously, the Texans, you don't know what they're going to be at either. So I think there's a period of games there. I think throughout the five, we could definitely win that back end and hopefully end the season on a high, really. And maybe he'd ruin the Titans' chances of getting in the playoffs on that last on that last weekend of the season. <laughs> it would be even better to answer the Jets. So, but yeah, I think overall, I think between four to seven wins, I think is about the range I'm, I'm thinking at the moment. All depending on how the, how the schedule pans out. Yeah, we we all fall in this trap, don't we? We we start predicting what the schedule actually looks like in week sixteen, seventeen, based on last year. You could be going into that game, and the you know the, the Texans could be zero and fifteen. We just have no idea, do we? So we shall wait and see. I'm looking forward to seeing the Jags. Anyway, I've got some tickets to the Broncos game. Although I do have to say, Robson, my best friend, is a Broncos fan, so I'll probably be on that side of the fence for that one. Um, but yeah, looking forward to seeing them this year. That's another division, fellas, in the books. It's been an absolute pleasure and certainly to get Robson and his expertise with regards to the Jags. Robson, just let everybody know who you are, where they can find you across the course of this NFL season. So, yeah, I'm I'm one half of uh, the Jags Across the Pond uh, social media pages. Uh, myself and Jamie run our Facebook and Twitter pages, respectively. Uh, Twitter, you can find us at JaguarsGB and the Facebook page is searching to the top bar, Jags Across the Pond. Uh, you can access any time you like. Obviously, a part of the full 10-yard network as well. Obviously, do try and get your guide and use the code POM10 as well. I'll just plug that in there. Um, obviously, we're very open. Obviously, we're going to be hitting our, our new pods later this week as well. So, obviously, you can find us on any, any streaming platform uh, you do use. Uh, and then, again, hopefully, we're going to have a good year to talk about. But fingers crossed, it just doesn't go pear-shaped. I think that's the main thing uh, that I'm thinking of as a Jack supporter so far. But overall, thanks for having me on, though, Jen. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, absolute pleasure to get you on, mate. Like you said, they're all part of the ever-growing Full 10 Yards network. Looking forward to all of the coverage that you provide, full10yards.co.uk forward slash Jaguars um, for all of your Jags stuff. There's been a few teams announced over the course of the last few days. Chargers on board, Patriots on board, Browns already on board. You know, we're, we're getting bigger every week. So make sure you are subscribed to everything Full 10 Yards. Follow us on all the regular social channels. We've mentioned it a couple of times as well today, the full 10-yard season guide available at the pre-sale stage. Now, please make sure that you do register your interest for pre-sales. Um, you can get 10% off the already low price if you enter the code full 10 after you have added the product to your cart. Um, so you'll get a digital guide for £5, a printed copy for £15, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. 15? It is, yes. So 15, 15 and 5 and then obviously 15. take your 10% off after that as well. And you get Indeed. what you can get Indeed. if you use full 10. And please, 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 if you want a printed guide, please do it this week. Um, pre-sale will not be forever because we have to eventually go into actually buying them. We're only doing one print run and it will be towards the end of next week. So please get them in now while you can, because they will not be a second chance. 
Yeah, and we promise you, you will not regret it. We're really proud of it. It's a, it's improving year on year as we hopefully are as well. So massive thank you to everyone that listens, subscribes. Please make sure you spread the word. Let's get that network out there to as many people as possible so you've got all of your American football coverage as we get set for the 2022 season. As we said earlier, only five weeks away. Next time we'll be back around the mics, myself and Josh. And Steve will be the NFC South we move to next. Um, don't know who we've got lined up for that one, but I'm sure we'll be joining. We've got Bucks UK for that one. We'll have there the Tampa go. Bay Buccaneers on for that one. There we go. So there we go. We'll have a someone to tell us how wonderful Tom Brady is. I'll tell you what, <laughs> I can't wait for an hour of that. It'll be great fun, won't it? We'll we've got the great. QB rule. We've got the QB rule. It'll be fine. True. We'll make sure we employ that next week, indeed. Well said, my friend. We're all joking aside, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again to Robson for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on the Full 10 Yards podcast. Make sure you get those guides. <laughs>